honest. It hadn't been for the grace of God, I would not be standing here this evening. If you got a bulletin, you would notice that we are going to be talking about fear. Excuse me. And uh, if anybody could identify with fear, it's me. The scripture for this evening is found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 through 18, if you check your bulletin. I ask that they put it on the overhead, just that portion of reading, because I'll be going through each verse of them, but I'm starting out on the theme, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I had three main fears in my life. As long as I could remember. Until 19... 75, January 5th. Fear number one. I was afraid to die. And I was afraid to die for the simple reason, as stupid as I was, I knew that if I died in my sin, I will go to hell. And I didn't want to go to hell. Fear number two. I was afraid to fly. Believe it or not. As sinful as I was, I prayed every time as a sinner, before I got on the plane, and I prayed after I got off the plane, as a sinner, sinning willfully. And that was because at 30,000 feet, if the engine shut off, I had nothing to hold on to. Fear number three. I was afraid of marriage. Do you believe it? Thirty years on the 21st of next month. But I was afraid of marriage. What's the connection? Six words. Until death do us part. Six words. 
there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. The problem of fear is as old as the existence of man. From the moment our first parents separated themselves from their creator through an act of disobedience, man had been haunted by fear. In case you miss where I'm coming from, it might be well to point out that the Bible speaks of two kinds of fear. There is filial, F-I-L-I-A-L, fear, which is God-given. It enables a man to reverence God and his authority. Obey his commands and hate and shun all form of evil. Example, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition with loud cries and tears to the one who, he, who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence, submission. I just, I just want to pause here for a second. If you read this surfacely, you would get the impression that I got when I read it for the first time. It says, with loud cries, Jesus, with much tears, he cried out to the Father to save him from death. And this verse says, and he did. But the question I think we need to ask ourselves is, did God save Jesus from death? I believe that this is talking about in the Garden of Eden. I'm sorry, Gethsemane. There's two gardens, this one is Gethsemane. Where he cried out to the Father and he sweat drops of blood as it were. Because the devil was trying to kill Jesus in the Garden. 
A matter of fact, he was trying to kill him from birth. And this was his last opportunity to get him before he gets to the cross. And he cried out to the Father. Because, as you know, if he had died in the garden, or anywhere else other than on the cross, you would not have been here this evening, and I would not have been here this evening. Because it had to happen exactly the way it was prophesied. I'm going to move away from there, because that's, that's another message. But also, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, we read, and I quote, Now, now all has been heard. There is, here is the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. What is our duty to God? To fear him? To keep his commandments. But the second fear that I am concerned about and that was the fear that I experienced. The Bible speaks to us about the slavish fear, which is natural. The natural consequences of sin and the expectations of judgment. I was afraid of being judged. Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1, and I quote, The wicked man flee, though no one pursues him. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. About two months ago, <clears throat> on a Saturday morning, I was lying in bed doing some studies. Helen had gone to the food store. Deborah was in her bedroom. And I heard this crash as if someone kicked our gate down. But I dismissed it and I said, you know, we have a Rottweiler and it's a big Rottweiler. I said, probably the cat, the cat jumped the fence and he tried to get the cat and that was it. But Deborah soon came into my bedroom and said, Dad, did you hear that? I said, yeah. I said, that's the dog. And then it dawned on me. If the dog is trying to catch a cat, 
he will be making all kinds of uh, sounds. And I didn't hear a sound. No barking. So I decided to get up and go outside. I got up. We have a five-foot fence that separates the front of the yard from the back. The gate was shut. I opened the gate, called the dog, no dog. I went around towards the back, and about 90 feet at the end of the backyard, there was my Rottweiler that everybody is afraid of, trembling. I called it, we call him Hitler. Hitler or Cyclops? Cyclops. We had one named Hitler. This is Cyclops. And he won't come. So I decided to go towards the dog. And I came to another corner that I had an awning lying against the building. And behind that awning was this figure of a man. He was as black as they come. And when I saw his face, I said, what are you doing in here? And he never answered. The next word that came out of my mouth was get out. And I went between my dog and him. And he started coming out. Now you all know how tall Brother Wenley is. He is as tall or taller than Brother Wenley and three times the size. And I look up at this giant. I mean, if Deborah didn't see the, the man, I'll say I was dreaming. I had a bad dream. But he started crawling out. I wondered when he would ever finish coming out of this, from under this awning. And when he came out, I stood like a grasshopper and I looked up and I said, what are you doing in here? Through the gate. And he started walking. And I said it again. What are you doing in here? And he said, I'm running from Mama. Can you imagine that? He was on drugs, undoubtedly. And I've been in that area for 30 years. And I've never seen him before, and I haven't seen him since. But this is the kind of fear that I am talking about. As huge as he was, I wasn't afraid until I got back inside and realized that, I mean, he could have crushed me like a roach. Paul, in his discussion on righteousness and self-control and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, and I quote, That's enough for now. You may leave when I find a convenient time. I will send for you. Such 
affair as this can possess and even paralyze the living, especially those men and women who are outside. Of the life of Christ. This passage before us. Speaks. Of one. The tyranny of fear. Because fear has to do. With punishment. All we need to do. Seriously. Is to. Walk the streets of new providence. And observe. The faces as they pass by. Note the stare and the glare in their eyes. Some even tremble as they pass by because of fear. Fear of rape, fear of sexual abuse, fear of carjacking, mugging, robberies, murder, and even sudden death of a loved one are all evidence of the tyranny of fear. What is the cause of such tyranny? The answer to this is twofold. One, we have the ultimate cause of fear. Because fear is punishment. Although these words are addressed primarily to believers or Christians. It, is, it also has a message to men and women who knows nothing about the grace of God. For they too are aware of the fact that death is inevitable. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, and I quote, Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. There are many projects today afoot where there is biological research trying to find ways to keep us alive longer. But death will come. One of the greatest proof is a day of, that the day of judgment is coming is that men and women 
have agreed the whole world over that they need justice wherever you go. No matter what form of justice or how weak the justice is, there are those who want justice. Let us remember that God is the judge of all the earth. And as the judge of all the earth, he will do what is right. Genesis 18.25, and I quote, Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? End of quote. Therefore, every human being will one day have to stand before the judgment throne of God to give an account of every word and action. And this is why fear has to do with punishment. The very thought of death and coming judgment creates fear in the hearts of those who have no confidence to stand in the day of judgment. That was my problem. But January 5th, 1975, at 12.30 a.m., I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I got on the plane the following morning, flew back to Nassau, and I don't remember praying when I got on, because I was ready. I knew that if I died, I would go to be with God. That was a peace that I've had from then, even to the point where there are those who would say to me, you can't find anything else to talk about other than death and dying. But I have a peace. I know in whom I believe. And I know that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. But secondly, there is an immediate cause of fear. The Bible makes it very clear that there are three main reasons why men and women fear death and punishment. These constitute the immediate cause of fear. Let us examine these reasons for a moment. A. The sense of guilt. When Adam and Eve tried to hide themselves among the trees from the presence of our Lord in the Garden of Eden, they had to confess when they were asked 
When God called out to Adam, Adam, where are you? Not that he didn't know, but he needed to answer the call. Genesis 3.10 says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. They were naked for as long as they were created. I don't know how long, and I'm not going to try to speculate. But it was not until they disobeyed Sin came in, and fear took over the very first time it was mentioned in the Bible. However, we may try to rationalize human sin, we are still plagued with guilt. Even the most hardened criminal will tell you and admit to guilt. The word guilt in the New Testament means to be under judgment. Quoting from a verse that we are all familiar with. First Corinthians eleven twenty seven. It says again, and I quote Therefore, whosoever eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Someone puts it like this, and I quote, No great progress needs need be traced in the development of the concept of guilt. Cain was as guilty as David. End of quote. And I dare say, you are as guilty as I am. B. The lack of peace. Paul says again, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. May I say to you, where there is no peace, there is worry. And where there is worry, there is an underlying fear. 
Do you realize that the most sought after titles of literature today are books that deals with peace, serenity, and composure? They are three of the best sellers. Why? Because we are living in a fear-ridden age. See, the need of Christ. The Bible tells us that Christ is our peace. Ephesians 2 verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one. One, one of Christ's favorite uh, words when he, whether it was with to individuals or as group, as a group was fair not. You realize that? Fair not. Why? Because he knew that men and women hearts were failing them because of fear of judgment. Secondly, we have the mystery of fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We note here that there must be a confession of the Son of God. Verse 15 of 1 John 4. If anyone acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, lives in him, and he in God. Since God is love, and we can never know this love until God reveals himself in Jesus Christ, we must take the first step of confessing the Son of God. The scripture says, again, in 1 John 4, 14, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Therefore, to confess that Jesus is the Son of God is to accept Christ as Savior from sin, guilt, and fear. But secondly, there must be a possession 
of the Spirit of God. Verse 13. We know that we live in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to make Jesus real in our lives. We can never know the Son of God nor the wonder of His love until we have been regenerated by the Spirit of God. When this quickening takes place, we become possessed with the fruit of the Spirit, which is, as is seen in Galatians 5:22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Thirdly, there must be the expectation of the service to God. Verse 12 of 1 John 4. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. In other words, by confessing the Son of God, we establish a relationship of love. By possessing the Spirit of God, we experience the resourcefulness of love by expressing service of God, we enjoy the release, as it were, of love. It is important then to observe that nowhere in the Bible are we encouraged to be Introverts. But rather we should be expected to serve by seeking men and women who needs to know the gracious message that will banish the tyranny of fear. A person who has a living relationship to Jesus Christ and knows the indwelling Holy Spirit is busy in loving others In one who prove the truth or the truths of his word 
The proof is, as it were, in the pudding. It will be expressed. It will be felt in spite of our surroundings. God has promised us in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. And I quote, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. In conclusion then, we note we don't need to be living in the grip of the tyranny of fear. But we can choose to live in the glory of the mystery of the love of God. We can step out of fear into fate by confessing the Son of God in a life of love towards others. Fear is destroying our nation. I was saying to my wife earlier, we remember when on a Sunday night you had practically as much or sometimes more than on a Sunday morning. And you ask the average individual, they will tell you that they don't come out because of, that they are afraid of being robbed or attacked. But those same people will carpool to go to a party until 12 o'clock on a weekend. It's amazing what we allow to come in to keep us away from a relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May I encourage you? I've been there and I can talk about fear. The rest of the night, but I'll be here all alone. I can tell you it's only the love of God that I can stand here before you tonight and open my mouth. Because before I trusted the Lord as my personal Savior, I was afraid to open my mouth. And then Jesus saved me. And he promised me, that perfect love cast out there. And may I say to you, if God doesn't have a sense of humor, you tell me who has. The very first time I spoke to a crowd, 
it was about at least 10,000 people. At least. I was saved by reading a Gideon Bible. I told the story to the Gideons when they came here. They wrote it down. They sent it to headquarters. They invited me to come and share. Over 10,000 people. Were I afraid? I was nervous because I'm still nervous. I'm nervous now, but I'm not afraid. I worried about what people would say. If I mispronounce a word, but now I mispronounce a word and I, if I could find out where I left off, I start all over and I mispronounce it again. And I say, get glory for yourself, Lord. Because I'm not trying to steal anything from the Apostle Paul, but I am convinced when I am weak, then I know who has me here tonight standing up before you because I could not do it on my own. Shall we pray? Father, I know that perfect love casts out all fears and I thank you for that and I thank you for using me to recognize that as a result of your grace, I could stand here tonight without fear of anyone in here. But fear of honoring you. And that's why when I was saved, I promise I'll go anywhere you would have me to go. And I'll say whatever you want me to say. Thank you. Get glory for yourself. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. Shall we pray? Father, as we leave this place now, I pray that you will go before us. Thank you for guidance. Thank you for direction. Thank you for protection. And thank you for your peace, your love that passes all understanding that keeps our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Go with God. Amen.